It's Friday, September 11th, 2020, and from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, it's Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. Pennsylvania is already well on its way to becoming the newest member of the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, or REGI for short. That is the 11-state cap-and-trade market for power generation. That's probably our single best opportunity right now to achieve significant carbon emission reductions within the next few years. Pennsylvania would be the biggest electricity producer in that club, but we are a little bit late to the party. States that have been participating since the Reggie market launched in 2008 have slashed their emissions while growing their economies at a rate faster than that of the rest of the country. Those Reggie states have created jobs, lowered utility rates, and reaped huge revenues that they've reinvested in clean energy innovation and support for communities. Here in Pennsylvania, the Wolf administration has committed to following that same path, and polling thus far shows the public largely on board with that plan. But the governor is going to have to get out his veto pen to break through the latest obstacle to Pennsylvania's Reggie membership. In the last couple of days, the General Assembly has approved a measure that essentially scraps the normal rulemaking process and requires legislative sign-off for any regulatory action on carbon dioxide or other greenhouse gas emissions. That's just one among several hot-ticket policy developments and materializing in Harrisburg as we head into the fall. Here with the Roundup is PEC's Senior Vice President for Legal and Government Affairs, John Walliser. John, welcome back. Thanks, Josh. Just this week, we had a key vote in the Senate on House Bill 2025. This would tell me if I'm wrong, effectively block Pennsylvania's entry into the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. What happened with this vote, and why is this bill so problematic? Yeah, that's right. After after coming back from uh, summer break, um, the first week of the General Assembly being back in session got very busy very fast. Um, and it might be helpful to take a quick step backwards just to uh, give a little bit of history um, last October, um, Governor Wolf announced his intention to have Pennsylvania move forward and link to the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, which is a regional market-based approach for reducing greenhouse gas emissions from the electric generation sector. Um, and that has been proceeding through the Pennsylvania rulemaking process. It's poised to go to an administrative board that's known as the Environmental Quality Board for a vote next week. Presuming that it, it clears the Environmental Quality Board, it will then go out for a pretty prolonged public comment, public hearing process. Uh, sort of um, uh, in parallel with that, there have been efforts in the General Assembly, uh, both on the legislative side to try to move Pennsylvania forward to address carbon dioxide emissions, but then there also have been bills like House Bill 2025 and Senate Bill 950 that would look to sort of set up these stop gaps or roadblocks uh, to the rulemaking process. And that's the legislation that was passed yesterday uh, by the Senate. Uh, this legislation would require uh, review by the General Assembly before any proposed rulemaking to address greenhouse gas emissions could be finalized by the administration. And not to get too wonky here, but um, you know there already is a pretty prolonged rulemaking procedure that has been in place in Pennsylvania for a very long time that allows the General Assembly to weigh in on these types of rulemaking um, processes. But what's different about this bill is that it sort of flips the script. Um, instead of just having the General Assembly weigh in on a rulemaking proposal, it actually gives the General Assembly to block rulemaking proposal merely by not taking it up for review. 
Um, so that really was our concern with this legislation, not to mention the fact that we really are looking to leadership in Harrisburg to start to take action on climate change. This has been a priority for the Wolf administration for a while now that they have certainly been out in front of this issue. What happens next with this? Will the governor veto the bill and will that veto stick? Yeah, we're fully expecting the governor to veto the legislation, and that will probably happen sometime in the next week or two. It's a little bit unclear as to what the General Assembly is going to do next. Um, The one thing that's interesting is, you know, uh, in July, there was a Senate bill that was introduced, Senate Bill 15, and that has now been complemented by a bill that was just introduced yesterday, um, House Bill 2856 in the House. Both of these bills sort of proactively put the legislature at the table saying we want to move forward with a CO2 cap and trade program. And we want to have a say as to not only how is that program going to be designed, but also if we do enter some sort of market-based program that returns revenues to the state, how are those monies going to be spent? So, you know, our hope is that the legislature is going to take this opportunity to take that step back and say, okay, we need to be a part of the discussion here. How can we do that in a constructive and a comprehensive way? So our urging is going to be, let's take a look at Senate Bill 15. Let's take a look at House Bill 2856 and see how we can move this process forward together. So presuming then that we are able to move forward and the path to Pennsylvania joining Reggie is open once again, what happens next with that process? Where is the rulemaking at currently? And, you know, do these latest events uh, directly impact that process? At the moment, it does not. Uh, That's presuming that the governor is going to veto this legislation. Um, So next week, it will go before the Environmental Quality Board for a vote. It will then go out for a a, a public comment and a public hearing process where the Department of Environmental Protection will um, have a number of hearings virtually, potentially in person, depending on how things shake out with the COVID pandemic. Um, And that's expected to go through probably the remainder of this calendar year. Um, Then what would happen is the Department of Environmental Protection will sort of collect and analyze those comments and contemplate what changes, if any, they want to make to that rulemaking, Um, you know, adjustments to anything from how they set the cap for the CO2 budget to what types of programs they invest proceeds in. Um, After they make that adjustment, they have to go back through the rulemaking process in terms of the advisory boards boards that they consult with. It will then go, again, go before the Environmental Quality Board. Uh, It will go uh, for review by the Attorney General. It will go for review by the Independent Regulatory Review Commission. And as I alluded to a little bit earlier, the, the General Assembly also has the opportunity to weigh in at that point in time through the Senate and the House Environment Committees. Um, so even after all that, um, you're probably looking at best finalization of a rulemaking sometime at the very end of next year. And the other rulemaking process that PEC has been very closely you know, attending to is the one pertaining to methane emissions from the natural gas supply chain, tougher standards, new requirements for leak detection, repair, and so on. What's happening with the methane rulemaking? So that did go out for public comment. That public comment period has now closed. It closed at the end of July. And the Department of Environmental Protection is now going through what what they've received um, from stakeholders and the public. 
we're expecting the department to um, come back to what's known as the Air Quality Technical Advisory Committee probably by the end of this year, probably in December, uh, with any changes to the rulemaking as a result of that input. Um, and then hopefully have the rule finalized sometime in the first or second quarter of next year. In terms of the disposition of the rulemaking itself right now, how is it looking? Is there anything that PAC or, or others would like to see change before it moves forward? Yeah, I think the constant theme that you've seen in terms of input from environmental organizations and the public, and frankly, some, some in the industry itself, is um, two things. First, um, more consistency and more certainty with respect to leak detection and repair. Uh, right now, the rulemaking, the way it's drafted, is that it allows for a decrease in the frequency of leak detection and repair on these well sites based on a percentage of components that are found to be leaking. But the problem is there's no direct correlation with the volume of those leaks or the severity of those leaks. So I think, you know, Peck and other groups are urging the department to rewrite the rule to ensure that, uh, number one, the frequency stays up in terms of how often uh, operators are going out and checking, but also that there shouldn't be a step-down provision solely based on the number of leaking components and rather it should be correlated to what the emissions are actually on site. The second um, concern we have with the rulemaking where we think it could and should be strengthened is um, what's known as the low producing well threshold um, where the department is exempting out certain uh, wells based on their production volumes uh, from the rulemaking itself. And again, this is a situation where, you know, regardless of how much a well may be producing, um, that does not have a direct correlation with how much it may actually be emitting. And we have a significant concern that by not going out and doing regular inspections of those wells and that infrastructure, you're potentially missing a huge amount of VOC and methane emissions. So we're urging the department to um, strengthen the rule in that sense, too. So apart from these two, you know, big, broad uh, energy and climate marquee items that PAC has been focused on very closely, obviously there is a lot of unfinished business still before the legislature, starting with the matter of the stopgap budget that was passed at the end of the fiscal year. What's the next shoe that we're waiting to drop in that arena? What's happening with, with the budget for the rest of the year? Right. So in May of this year, the General Assembly did pass the stopgap budget, was, which is supposed to take us into November for state operations. And then the intent was for the General Assembly to come back and finalize a budget for the remainder of the state fiscal year through June 30 of 2021. Uh, we really haven't heard uh, a time frame or much discussion about how the General Assembly does indeed or does plan to tackle that. Um, so it's quite possible that that discussion starts um, as they return to session in September now, um, they could wait until after the election in November, or there's even some possibility that they sit and wait and see what happens with any further federal action on assistance provided to the states before they make decisions. But um, we do have some concerns with how the budget process will play out this year, because of course, due, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, um, there are significant revenue shortfalls in Pennsylvania, as there are across the country. 
And we're worried about what that's going to mean for a lot of the environmental programs that um, do everything from ensure that hazardous sites that have been abandoned are taken care of to uh, there's still investment in communities and in our public asset, assets like trails and parks that have become so vital for all Pennsylvanians right now. And it would be, I mean, it would be bitterly ironic if the outcome of this situation in which revenues are reduced would be detrimental to things like outdoor recreation, which we know is an economic generator and is something that's actually been on an upward track since the pandemic began. Yeah, right. I mean, one of the things that PEC has done on the program side is we um, earlier this year commissioned a study where we were, um, you know, quantifying what the increase in trail use has been. Um, and over the summer, uh, we've relayed the results of that study to several members of the General Assembly. And in fact, uh, we are scheduled to present the findings of that report to um, a caucus next week um, before the Senate Democratic Policy Committee. Um, we're also having discussions about potentially doing some additional briefings this fall. I think there's a lot of interest um, from legislators in this issue. They're seeing it, you know, they're experiencing it firsthand themselves. And I think they're also seeing not only how important this is to their constituents in terms of providing both physical and mental um, mm. relief from the, the, the lockdown, but also what it has meant to as an economic driver um, in, in their communities. I mean, at this point in time, bike shops are essentially sold out of inventory. Good luck trying to find a kayak uh, unless you're buying it on um, you know, Craigslist or eBay because most places are, are sold out. Um, and uh, you know, the same can be said for service on your bicycle. There, there's very long delays because people are getting out more. Um, you know, the one positive outcome of this is that people are using public lands and trails. Um, more families are getting out. Um, so that's a good thing. The bad thing is it sort of underscores the fact that, you know, we have these wonderful resources out there, but um, they were stressed to begin with from a management and maintenance standpoint. And also that not every single Pennsylvanian has equal access to these amenities. So these are challenges that we're still trying to address. Um, and by potentially threatening the the program funding that goes to those assets um, that can make matters much worse. Yeah. And without knowing what the future holds economically and in terms of any future uh, you know, support from the federal government toward economic recovery, it does seem like a pretty fair bet that, at least in Pennsylvania, outdoor recreation is going to be a part of that picture. And we want to make sure that that's reflected in, in the budget, right? Absolutely. Speaking of bikes, a little bit of a tangent, but uh, e-bikes are becoming more popular. And that means Pennsylvania and other state governments have to kind of update their uh, their laws and codes and ordinances to deal with uh, electric assist bicycles. What's happening in Pennsylvania on that front? Yeah, so legislation has been introduced in the House. It's House Bill 2646. And it's really sort of a small administrative fix. But what it does is it amends the state's vehicle code uh, to classify these bicycles, these electric assist bicycles, and make sure that how Pennsylvania recognizes them is consistent with what other states um, across the country are doing. And this helps retailers in terms of marketing and selling these um, e-bikes these e and also provides much clearer guidance to PennDOT, the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, 
local communities, trail managers, um, you know, boroughs and towns for how they want to address e-bikes in terms of where and where they don't want to allow them to um, go with respect to trails and roads. So uh, there is going to be a House Transportation Committee hearing on this legislation next Wednesday, September 16th. We are supportive of the legislation. Um, and we're hoping that it can move through um, the House and the Senate with the limited amount of time we have left. What about community solar, something else that we've been watching and that's come up a few times on this podcast? Uh, is Pennsylvania any closer to, you know, to moving ahead with a community solar program? Yeah, so about a week and a half ago, the House Consumer Affairs Committee did have a hearing on community solar. And the legislation we are supportive of is House Bill 531. Very positive hearing uh, from both sides of the aisle. Um, it's, it's receiving a lot of support from both Democrats and Republicans. We're seeing um, manufacturers, um, solar and renewable advocates, of course, but even folks like the Farm Bureau who are weighing in and support of this legislation were hopeful uh, that this bill will be taken up in the fall. But again, you know, we only have a few months left before uh, this session closes out. They do have the budget to contend with, too, but we, we remain hopeful that we can see passage of this bill. So obviously we've been talking about all state-level stuff. That is where most of PEC's policy work takes place. But uh, anything happening with the feds that we should be on top of right now? One thing that we are doing, and we're doing this in partnership with a number of community environmental organizations across the state, um, we are advocating for reauthorization of what's known as the Abandoned Mine Land Trust Fund. This is a fund that was established all the way back in 1977, and it's meant to provide funding to states that have legacy pollution issues resulting from mining, and of course, Pennsylvania is at the top of that list. Um, it's funded through a fee that is placed on extraction of coal. Um, and similar to what we faced with the Land and Water Conservation Fund last year, reauthorization of that program, we find ourselves in a situation where every couple of years um, the program expires and needs to be reauthorized. And we also have the issue of ensuring that the fund is fully appropriated back to the states, uh, which has not happened with the AML Trust Fund. So. We are doing outreach to members of Congress right now, trying to make sure that any discussion with respect to economic stimulus and helping the states includes reauthorization of the trust fund. Well, the happy ending to the Land and Water Conservation Fund story was that that fund was permanently reauthorized. Any prospect of that happening with the AML fund? We hope so. You know, they, they these, these funds are enacted uh, with broad bipartisan support, and then you always have that annual hurdle of making sure that the funds are appropriated needed for their intended purposes. Um, but yeah, we are optimistic. We're getting a lot of good feedback on it, um, so we're hopeful. All right, John, well, uh, clearly there's a lot on your plate. I will let you get back to it, but I appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, talking us through what's happening uh, in, in the policy shop. Okay, thanks so much. John Walliser is Senior Vice President for Legal and Government Affairs, PECS, eyes and ears on the ground in Harrisburg, keeping on top of uh, what's happening in the legislative and regulatory space around environmental issues, as well as outdoor recreation, communities and landscapes, watersheds, and all the other areas of uh, PECS program portfolio. You can learn more about all of them on our website at pecpa.org. 
The nerve center for the policy shop on the website is the policy section and the PEC bill tracker, where you can find comprehensive, up-to-date information on what's happening with legislation of interest to our constituencies. You can also find out information on upcoming hearings, meeting dates, and votes, as well as PEC's policy positions and recommendations on quite a few of them. You'll find it all at PECPA.org. Under the bill tracker, look under the policy tab. On the website, you'll also find all of our past episodes of the Pennsylvania Legacies podcast. They live there in perpetuity, as well as on any number of other podcast platforms, including but not limited to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Player.fm, Stitcher, and at many others. Basically, anywhere that podcasts are available, you can find Pennsylvania Legacies. We hope that wherever you do find us, you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. Glad to have you for another episode. We release new ones every other week, usually on Fridays. If you subscribe right now in your podcast app, you'll be sure and get the next one as soon as it comes out. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson, and thanks for listening.